the Missional Life Podcast, inspiring kingdom-minded believers around the world to live the mission of God in their lives. Okay, welcome back to the Missional Life Podcast. Today we are at the National Religious Broadcasters Conference in Dallas, Texas, and we have an opportunity to sit with Raleigh Sadler who is the director of Let My People Go. Raleigh, welcome to the welcome. show. Oh, thank you for having me. Raleigh, you're an expert on the subject of human trafficking. And so we want to know, like, what is the current status of human trafficking? Are we making a dent in the numbers or is, or is it continuing to grow? Well, for us to understand human trafficking, we have to understand really what it is at a base level. Human trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerability for commercial gain. So whether it's for sex, labor, domestic servitude, or the removal of organs, trafficking always involves people with power and people with less power. And so exploiters will look for those that they can have leverage over and they will exploit them to do what that exploiter needs. And so really when we think of human trafficking and we ask the question, is it growing or is it not? The mere fact that there are vulnerable people means that traffickers are going to be busy. And so we look at the pandemic and how we're kind of, we hope we're coming out of it. But that said, one of the things that I was saying at the very beginning of the pandemic is your community will shift throughout this process. Those who were vulnerable will be more so. And those who may not have experienced their own vulnerability will be vulnerable. And the traffickers are now going to grow more desperate because they're impacted. And so before the pandemic, the number that many people were using was that there were over 40 million people around the world that were impacted by human trafficking, whether it's for sex, labor, domestic servitude. I would say that number could be higher because people have been rendered ridiculously limited and vulnerable. And those already in the margins are now suffering more than they were before. Wow. So you're saying that that number could be even higher now post-pandemic. Yeah, we don't necessarily have data to show it, but I've noticed that many in the anti-trafficking movement have all been saying the same thing. The pandemic has made people more vulnerable, and it has exacerbated what was already happening. And we'll... I think in years to come, we'll, we'll just learn more and more about what really happened. Wow. So when we talk about human trafficking, is there a region of the world that is a little bit more, let's say, vulnerable to uh, being a source of labor? Absolutely. There are source countries, there are transit countries, there are destination countries. When we think about international human trafficking, where people are crossing international borders, um, I think you just follow the vulnerability. You follow the places in the developing world where people are easily exploitable. You know, you could go to somewhere like India and South Asia where India on the books has outlawed forced labor for years, but it's happening mm. and it's happening with regularity. Um, you could go to places in Africa and see vulnerable children forced to work on fishing boats and if they don't carry their weight they're shot and they're thrown over these are these are stories that we're we're hearing and 
it's generally happening to the people that we're not thinking about. It's funny, when I go to work with churches or talk to people, even at conferences, and I say, you know, this is what we do. I run a nonprofit called Let My People Go, and we work with the local church to empower them to fight human trafficking by loving their most vulnerable neighbors. Someone will say, well, we don't have trafficking because we're not near a highway or we're not near a sporting event or, you know, fill in the blank, you know. And honestly, if you have people who can be if you have people who are poor or people who are in the margins for any reason, they could be experiencing homelessness. They could be struggling with mental illness. They could, um, I mean, wow. They could just be looking for the love of a father. If you have that, then you have someone who wants to exploit that. Mm. And even if, you know, they may say, oh, we don't have it in this area. Well, it doesn't mean that the people who are vulnerable can't moved or migrate to another area and fall into that well absolutely and also like one of the hardest things i ever heard when i was speaking at a church was i don't know if he was well-meaning or trying to be funny i don't know what he was doing but the guy was like well we don't know where all the trafficking victims are Hmm. But I do, I could tell you where all the prostitutes are, and boy, are they rough. That's what he said. Wow. And I was so angered, um, and I probably called him out. <laughs> it was like I was, it was like an open Q&A, and I was just like, I was so thrown off. But the point being, he didn't understand that there's a good chance it wasn't that person's choice to do yeah. that. And so when people ask me, well, where are all these people who are victims of human trafficking, I would say they're hidden in plain sight right behind our assumptions hmm. because you could look at someone who's experiencing homelessness and say, well, that person chooses not to work. If they just work, they'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or someone who's a new immigrant and saying, well, they're here to take my job. When we villainize people, mm-hmm. yeah. we're going to miss people who are victimized. Mm-hmm. And the only way through that is to start conversations. The only way through that is to get to know people because there's always more to the story. Mm-hmm. And like when we lift up the label, then we're actually in a place where we can, we can hear their narrative. We can actually know what really happened. Yeah. Wow, so powerful. Mm-hmm. And you know, you look at scripture and you just think about how Jesus, you know, even the most marginalized people, he saw them. It looked like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you look at scripture and he looked and he saw them. And being seen is such a powerful thing when people see you and you know when you see people um it's when you really see them it's it's a lot easier to to love them and it's a lot harder to judge them Mm. i remember i used to live in manhattan and i remember going from point a to point b one day and someone asked me for money because in new york or any big city that happens all the time and sometimes you're just focused and you you just walk by people and you don't even look Mm -hmm. and I'd been convicted about that and so even if I didn't have money I would turn I would take 10 seconds start a conversation or at least look the person in the eye and I remember looking someone in the eye and she just stopped and she goes thank you and I'm like for what I I don't have money I there's nothing I can do and she goes you acknowledge that I exist Mm. thank you you're the first person to do that today and and i'm not saying that to like 
be like, oh, look at me. It, it was a very small thing that we can do, but acknowledging someone's humanity, humans love that kind of thing. Absolutely. We love to know that we're not alone. We love to know that we matter, that we're important to someone. Hmm. Because a trafficker is going to come and they're going to isolate you. They're going to drive you away from the people who could speak truth into your life. Mm-hmm. And they're going to leverage that. But what would happen if we just slowly but surely, starting with the one person in front of us, our vulnerable neighbor in our path, like the Good Samaritan, what would happen if we, we started there and mm-hmm. actually got to know someone's name, listen to their story? I think over time, through that relationship, I think God could do some amazing things. Yeah. What are some of those ways that, you, that traffickers do isolate and marginalize people what are some things that, th- that people can be aware of one um, just so they can help stop but also just you know also to be aware of themselves what are those tools that they use so traffickers will consistently use power and control they will always misuse it to their benefit three of the ways that they use it most i guess effectively is they use force fraud and coercion And so a lot of people think, when they think of human trafficking, they think everyone's kidnapped. I've heard people say, well, they're snatched up. Okay, I can tell you've seen the movie Taken. See, kidnapping can and does happen. But that's not the prevailing method of human trafficking. Oftentimes people are groomed, so there is a relational element. Mm. Uh, All of my friends who've been trafficked, they were trafficked by a so-called boyfriend or husband or parent or something Mm. to where it's not stranger danger. And a lot of people, when they think about human trafficking, they'll think, well, people are just forced into it at gunpoint or knife point. And again, a lot of people are groomed. They're manipulated through that. It's a long process. And so, so yeah, force does happen, but, force is often employed during the process of human trafficking not like an entry point a lot of people can be coerced you know they'll get them to make a video and say you know now that we have this unless you do this i'm going to tell your family or i'm going to tell your church or i'm going to hurt your family Mm. or i'm going to set your church on fire or something they're going to go extreme and a lot of a lot of my friends they've seen their trafficker do terrible things so it's believable and also i think one of the most common ways is through fraud it's people are tricked you know it's a bait and switch people think they're in a relationship turns out the person was just using them people think they've gotten a job it turns out this job that they found on the internet's not a real job and so yeah Force, fraud, and coercion are often the tools employed by traffickers. Wow. And I just think about that trust, you know, because as humanity, we desire to trust people. Right. Mm -hmm. We do. And in those relationships, you know, I trust my wife, we trust, you know, friends. And all of a sudden that just gets manipulated and, and, and switched. And not only do they find themselves in a, in a, horrible situation but now that lack now they've can't trust that person anymore obviously but then that in for future relationships just erodes pretty much any other trust that they can have mm-hmm. absolutely wow what are some statistics that 
that you find just mind-blowing i mean i'm it, what are tell us a few of those that are just shocking because for most of us we we hear about human trafficking or what you know in whatever case that is you know sexual trafficking labor but what are some of the most staggering statistics that you've come across you know the mere fact that there are 40.3 and i would say more victims of human trafficking in the world globally that it's a 150 billion dollar industry that one of the things that's kind of shocking is that um, we hear about sex trafficking all the time, but 68%, according to a UN report on labor, 68% is for forced labor, mm-hmm. and the rest is for sex trafficking. But two-thirds of the money that comes from human trafficking comes from sex trafficking. So it's interesting, like, mm. if we're only looking for people who are trafficked for sex... We're going to miss the person trafficked in our restaurants, on a construction cruise, in the hospitality industry, in your local hotels. Mm. Um, It's so easy to think, well, we're just looking for people who are in complete distress, but then not think that forced fraud and coercion are happening. And that person could seem put together right now in this moment. They could want, they could act like they want to be there. And so, yeah, I think knowing that human trafficking cases have been found in every state in the United States, and a lot of those cases, that, that's, that's staggering to me. There's nowhere on the planet you can go where someone is not being trafficked. Wow. So we understand that, you know, those are the th- those three principles that you mentioned earlier how they are brought into it. But, you know, so we see how they are sourced. How are they placed? How are they placed with, with a, for those specifically that are working jobs? How are they then placed at those jobs? Are there relationships with the, with the owners? And how, how do they go about finding jobs for these people and exploiting them? Well, oftentimes it's just ridiculously organic. One of my friends who was trafficked by her boyfriend, this was several years ago and she had a pager and so she was going to college she was doing she would take classes that her exploiter wanted her to take Mm. you know because they were dating and you know not every moment was terrible but there were ridiculously terrible moments and that's how that's that's how traffickers can do this they'll be like well who's ever loved you who's given you clothing who's done this who's cared for you and sure they do terrible things but it's very easy in that person's mind to be like, well, but they really love me. And my friend, she would just go about her average day, but then when her beeper went off and it said, you need to be here, she had to go. And oftentimes it's like that. People, they, I mean, they could be living in your home, they could be going to your church, and you may just think, oh, well, they have a little bit of a weird relationship with their boyfriend or their girlfriend or their, their parent, but something more could be going on. And so, yeah, I found it just to be really organic. Like, now some people can. I've heard stories of people who were foreign nationals trafficked into the United States, and they would, their first stop would be, like, a restaurant. And then they would constantly be going over, like, 
just going through staff and people are like, what are you doing? But that was like the sifting point. And then they would send them to illicit massage parlors and different places around the country. That kind of thing can happen. But a lot of times traffickers and those they traffic are coming from the same communities. That's what we're seeing here in the States. And so that's why it can be hidden so well is things may just seem normal. So what can we do? What, what are some signs? You know, let's, let's, let's fast forward to this. For those of us who, you know, we, we are aware of the issue, we are um, wanting to do something, what are some ways that we can identify a trafficked individual and what are some different things that we can begin to do and take action on it? Well, one of the things I tell people every time I get this question is that before we look for red flags of exploitation, we need to look for signs of vulnerability. Because again, that's who a trafficker is going to target. They're not going to target people who are in good community. They're not going to target people who are getting their physical, emotional, and psychological needs met. They're kind of like sharks in the water. You know how a shark can sense blood Mm. from miles away and knows how to find the animal or the person and then knows what to do because they know what to do when they sense vulnerability. And that's how a trafficker is. Mm. They can smell it on you. They can sense it on you. They know if you have issues with your father. They know if you can't hold down a job. They know if you have chronic illness. They know if you don't have anywhere to live. I mean, yeah, they will they will exploit that for their benefit. And so when I wrote the book Vulnerable, the focus of the book is really to show people that God motivates vulnerable people like you and me to love other vulnerable people by becoming vulnerable for us. Mm. Mm. And it's that, you know, that thing that we think disqualifies us for caring for people, like our own perceived weakness. That's actually the thing that makes us a great friend. That's the thing that makes us a good partner. That's the thing that helps us meet people where they are. Our issues may differ, but we still have issues. And so I kind of trace that throughout the book. And at the end of the book, I have an appendices. A hundred ways you can fight human trafficking today. And I would tell people the first thing they should do is learn the signs of human trafficking. First of all, learn the vulnerabilities. What are the vulnerabilities in your community? Is our community experiencing more homelessness? Or do we have immigrant neighbors? Or do we have those with mental illness, um, our at-risk youth, like, in danger in our community? Do we have a lot of foster care in our community? You know, what's going on there? And then we can learn more about the signs. So... You know, if you see a young person and they have a bunch of hotel keys, that's a sign. Mm. If someone is in an unhealthy relationship and they can't go anywhere by themselves, that's a sign. Like if they have to always have someone with them, that's an issue. Um, If someone is addicted to drugs, oftentimes traffickers ply people with drugs. That's something to pay attention to. And you can learn these things in books like mine as well, but you can also go to the polarisproject.org and they have a lot of resources for 
here are the red flags of human trafficking. And I know I have a massive list of it in my book, but we really want people recognize that vulnerability first, then look for the signs. And then another thing you can do is put the human trafficking hotline number in your phone. Hmm. And it's one 888 If you dial threes, sevens, and eights, you're going to get there at some point. Or you could text BE FREE, B-E-F-R-E-E, and you can ask them questions about human trafficking, but you can also report things. If you see something in your community, like there are a lot of cars coming in and out of this house, and I have a neighbor that she's not allowed to talk to me, and she seems to be in a difficult relationship, but I see people just kind of coming in all the time and it, something just seems off-putting talk to them about it mm. give them actionable intel give them something they can work with mm. so good i'd also like to you know ask you as well um and i hate to use this phrase but um supply and demand mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. supply but how do we what are the things that you can speak to that increase the demand for this stuff? I appreciate you asking me that question because this is the part of the conversation that gets difficult. Hmm. You know, when we think about everyone wants to fight human trafficking, right? Mm -hmm. There's no one who's like, yay, I'm pro trafficking. Like no one is like that. Sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But when you start talking about demand, Mm -hmm. that's when it gets a little weird because We want to fight for freedom that we're not even experiencing. Oftentimes, um, everything we buy, everything we eat, everything we watch casts a vote for the world that we want to live in. Hmm. And we don't think about that. We don't think about how our unseen neighbor is used to create the products that we crave. Whether it's this cheap t-shirt I'm wearing, you know, that I only spent $3 on, well, if it's only $3, someone at some point had to pay the total cost for that. Mm. So is someone not paying their labor fair wages? Are people being trafficked? Where's the cotton from? These are questions to ask. Then about our food. A lot of the fish for years that would come into your grocer's freezer was taken from places where there was forced labor. It could be like a Thai fishing trawler where people were threatened with death if they didn't keep working. And they would work till their fingers bled. You know, so it could be what you wear. It could be what you eat. It could be the content that you consume. When we consume pornography, we're ultimately casting a vote. But here's the thing. People who are trafficked for sex are often taught through pornography. And their trafficker will say, watch this, now do this. It's not that hard. This is what you do. And so they're kind of groomed through pornography, but pornography also grooms us. So when we watch it, we don't know we're creating a demand. We Mm. think our private sins stay there, but with every private sin, there's a public ramification. And so as we're watching it, not only are we casting a vote, because pornography is exploding, and like, especially in the pandemic, the numbers skyrocketed. Well... Now people want to act that out. And, I mean, I've heard too many stories of people who say, well, couldn't do this with my partner, so I went to buy it from someone who would be willing to do this. 
And oftentimes, those who are trafficked, there's a stat, um, I believe, out of the Yale School of Social Work, and it says something to the effect of between 75 and 95% of those in a commercial sex industry were exploited at a younger age. And so, you know, stats only go so far, but what we're seeing is that many people are empowered through their own disempowerment. Something Mm -hmm. was taken from them. And when we think about pornography, it does, it shapes us, it shapes our wants, it shapes our desires, and we're creating a demand. So I think for any of us to fight human trafficking, we have to realize that we're part of the problem first. And I typically send people to an online survey called slaveryfootprint.org. It's been around for several years, and it's just, it's good, because I think it gives you the opportunity to repent. And I think many of us who are fighting trafficking realize at some point they're like, oh, we're part of the problem. Could be what we eat, could be what we wear, could be if we watch pornography, but ultimately we have to flip the script. We have to start sowing into the world that we want, a free world, a world that doesn't consume suffering but purchases freedom. Like that's what we have to do. And the only way to do that is to address demand beginning at home, beginning with ourselves. Wow. So good. Absolute gold. One more question because we went on your time. Um, But as we get involved and as we rescue people and as people begin to get pulled out of trafficking, how can the church, the body of Christ, love on people that have been rescued? How can we be the church to people who have then been rescued? And how can we best love them and support them? I think for churches to really love people who've been trafficked or vulnerable people at all, we have to think through the way that we do church. We have to look at our DNA because at the end of the day, it's hard to protect other people when you're too busy protecting yourself. And I've been a pastor. I've been doing this Christian ministry thing for over 20 years. And I've learned that if I'm afraid of something or worried that someone's going to make things harder for me, it's easy to either not show them attention or to subtly push them away. And so when Let My People Go works with the church, our goal is to help the congregation as a whole do something to engage their most vulnerable population in the community, to preach on it, to have small groups that are working with collaborative organizations, to provide on-ramps for people who are vulnerable to join not only the conversation in the church, but to potentially be leaders. You know, it's so easy to be kind of pushed into a ministry in a church or a program. And what we're saying is, no, the person who is experiencing homelessness is made in the image of God. The person who is wealthy is in the image of God. And they both have the opportunity to be discipled. And they both should have the opportunity to serve others. And so, yeah, we work with churches to help them do a needs assessment in their community, to help them collaborate well with local stakeholders, nonprofits, law enforcement, social services, and then really bring it back to the congregation and think through how are we identifying, empowering, protecting, and including vulnerable people in our midst? And so, yeah, I really believe that the church can do something, but the only way to do it is to realize that we have to take a step of faith, and that means trusting God with our protection so that we can protect others. 
Wow. Well said. Amen and amen. Mm-hmm. So, Raleigh, the book is called Vulnerable. Where can people connect with you and where can people find, uh, get a hold of this book? So they can find the book Vulnerable, Rethinking Human Trafficking on Amazon or really wherever books are sold. Um, they can connect with Let My People Go through our website, lmpg.org. So like Let My People Go, lmpg.org. Wow. What an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being with us today.